what make a man brave a blizzard kill in cold blood i'm sure i don't know you'd be surprised what a man would do hello and welcome to hollywood rx the doctors are in the doctors being dr adam dooley hello and myself Dr. G. Meyer. Hello, Dr. G. Meyer. Hello, Dr. A.D. Now, tell me, did you, in fact, this weekend, I hope the answer is yes, uh, see The Hateful Eight? I did. In fact, I was able to see it in 70 millimeter, thanks to a theater here in Chicago. That's very cool. Oops. Maybe I shouldn't say Chicago. Oh, no, it's okay. Was I supposed to let on that we're not... In the same room? Well, if you stop Just saying it, we can get rid of it. No, no, it's all right. <laughs> I think they know by now. Damn. It's all okay. right. <clears throat> um, well, that's and cool. And was this that... is one of the shows where we're not in the same room. <laughs> that's true. Um, are you... Did you... I'm sorry. Did you see it today or yesterday, or how so... fresh is it? I saw it yesterday, yeah. Okay. It's still... You've had a little time. A little Say time. To pro- you had a little time to process. I did, but you saw it a month ago, and you saw it oh. with. Uh, you said seven of the eight in attendance. <laughs> yes, there were eight. There were eight guests, but one of them was a producer. I couldn't tell you who. Um, uh, Tarantino was not there, but Sam Jackson, Kurt Russell, Jennifer Jason Lee, Walton Goggins, uh, Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and Bruce Dern were all there. Well, I think you trumped my 70 millimeter. Thanks. <laughs> well, I think I believe mine was also in 70 millimeter because I don't think you bring them all out and then not show it in the way it's supposed to be shown, the- theoretically. Well, I think if it was, they would have announced it at the beginning or something. Like you would have, yeah. I think you would have known going in. It wouldn't I, have been a secret. If I ask who I went, the guy I went with, he'll never know whether or not it was. Um, so I'm going to say you saw it in 70 millimeter and I heard them talk about it afterwards, but more, they were talking more about the act of actually working in it possibly. And the one thing I, I would say, like the takeaway quote, um, would be, and then we can get into the actual discussion of the film is Kurt Russell being giddy about doing that job, working that job. And, and he gestured towards, uh, Sam Jackson, uh, who else? Uh, Tim Roth and Michael Madsen on the other side of the stage from him, and went. I mean, those are the guys that made Tarantino, and I'm lucky enough to be working with them. I mean, it was. It, I had not thought about it that same way that those three actors were right there, sort of ground zero uh, in hmm. Tarantino's career, and just how uh, how the, the way in which that made Russell giddy was was very sweet to see that they were as... well Tim Roth especially because I believe he's the only one. Oh no, he and Michael Madsen both in Reservoir Dogs. Uh, yes, I think so. I think so. So there's so, some some there's some crossover there too. Um, anyway, it was a, it was an interesting interesting time, and I'll talk a little bit more about it later. But um, that was the quote. Was there that... an overture when there, you saw it? There was. There was an overture. Right, you may have seen it. May I ask? Where? What was the location where you saw it? Oh, you know what? It was some sort of guildy type building, but it was, it was very near. Um, it was what is that street that goes down? Um, no, Highland. Was... No, Highland. In 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 Hollywood, near near the high school, 
near Hollywood <laughs> High School or whatever that big high school is right there. I should have looked it up. It's Sorry. shameful you don't remember, but let's move on. <laughs> uh, fair uh -huh. enough. Fair enough. Um, so uh, you're going you're gonna to drive the bus today because I did see it a month ago, and while I did have vivid reactions at the time, um, I, I think I'm better off reacting to you bringing stuff up. So uh, uh, drive away, man. I, <clears throat> I feel the way about this that I felt about... Django Unchained. There oh. are a lot of things I liked about it. And generally, yes. for me, it falls into the same category as Death Proof. Is that it, there are a lot of things I like about it, but I'm not sure it totally succeeds as a whole. I loved, loved, loved the first half up to the intermission. Okay. I was so on board. I was like, holy fuck, he's playing it straight and it's working. It was like, it was like Lifeboat. It was like, this is really <laughs> like a, like a, <clears throat> the modern day equivalent of a Hitchcock film. It was, you know, suddenly we had a pile of people gathered by circumstances into this one tiny place. Yeah. And... The, 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 the claustrophobic interactions force people to tip their hands. I liked it. But then in the second half, I f the spell was broken. Uh, I'll tell you why in a minute. Okay. But um, then it sort of became... Uh, it sort of became Ten Little Indians, the Agatha Christie story. Yeah, and yeah. A couple of films. And I was less enchanted by that yeah. than I was by the first half. Because in the first half, he abandoned all those very obvious techniques that are specific to making a movie. Uh, we'll case, go into this later. Okay, no, but, no. But, but okay. in a nutshell, yeah. this was like a three and a half out of four star movie for me. Um, I will definitely see it again in 70. Uh, and like Death Proof, I suspect that I will come to enjoy it and forgive it more second or third time oh wow okay god I, I i don't know if people can hear in my voice the giant smile i have on my face i'm not Probably sure that, not. that you can we don't see have it those kind of <laughs> um and it is because i felt almost everything the opposite of what you just I said i knew it i knew you were going to i knew it so I this... knew it. I knew it back <laughs> however many months ago when yeah. we when we emailed the list back and forth of what we could realistically cover. I knew what I was getting into on this. No, 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 no. You don't understand. It, uh, I don't think you understand what I mean by what I said. Uh, okay. But but much of what you said makes me want to ask you some questions <clears throat> even before I really give my opening. Oh, you mean you didn't care for the first half, but the second half is the magic for you? That's closer to what I meant. But first, I want to I want to uh, clarify a couple of things. But before I even do that, I'm going to ask you how many clarify. times how many times have you seen Django? Only once. Only once in a theater. Yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Sorry, I'm just uh, I'm pulling up uh, Tarantino's uh, list as a director, just so I don't screw up. I'm not worrying about him as a writer in this conversation, only sort of as a writer-director. Yes. The next so, time he writes something that someone else directs, then we can talk about true romance, <laughs> natural born killers, and oh, all that. Oh, believe me, you know I'd be happy to talk about true romance. Um, I love that movie. 
Yeah, see, I do not love that movie. I'm sure you don't. <laughs> oh, no, I sure don't. Okay, so just to be clear, I want to clarify some things. I believe last time you made reference to the fact that um, that I hadn't seen Kill Bill, so I can, couldn't join in in a conversation about it, or you made a reference to it. Am I accurately well, quoting what you said in terms of my not having seen it? I'm sorry, there was a question there? Yeah, I was saying... Am I correct in my interpretation? You made a passing remark last time uh, about Kill Bill and built into that remark was a little inference or a reference to the idea that I hadn't seen Kill Bill. Yeah. Okay, that's incorrect. Well, I have, it, just, I, I've it seen... just curves how I can <laughs> reference it. I've because seen... I don't... Okay. I still, I still harbor this fantasy that I will sit you down yes. with the four and a half hour uninterrupted epic kill bill uh -huh. and that you see the light okay i have and I, I i know this is delusional of me it's like asking for peace in the middle east but <laughs> i'm asking for it anyway okay so i'm gonna keep you as much of a kill bill virgin right. as i can and for the record i've seen both kill bill volume one and kill bill volume two i am not a kill bill virgin i haven't seen four and a half hours of it and as an experiment, if we're ever in the same space again, I would be open to a discussion of that. But I would have to find something of equal value to uh, have you watch as well so that we could balance each other out. I say the four and a half hour cut because to me, Kill Bill, I, whenever I watch the movie... <laughs> okay, so hang on. So it doesn't even count that I've seen it in the volumes. I am still technically a virgin as far as you're concerned. No, that's not true. Oh, I'm okay. sorry. No, that's all okay. right. Why don't we come back to this? Mm -mm. No, 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 because no, no, everyone because... who's tuning in on, is nobody. really excited to hear <laughs> us talk about Hateful Eight. You wish. But we, we, will, get we will get to, to Kill that. Bill okay. later. We will get to Kill Bill later. That's not any more of it. What I was going to say is yeah. I am not a um, <clears throat> Quentin Tarantino. No, I'm not a Quentin Tarantino thoroughist in that I haven't thoroughly seen his entire uh, things to offer. No, hang on, because it does matter. This goes back to expectations and so on and so forth okay. when you go in. So, to be clear, Jackie Brown, don't think I saw it. Kill Bill, Volume 1, Volume 2, saw them, was not left uh, particularly impressed. Skipped Grindhouse and Death Proof. Um, I, generally speaking, like Robert Rodriguez, um, but I did see, wait, four rooms in which they both contributed something. Not exactly the same thing. I know well, pa uh, Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, familiar with both of those. And so for me, uh, the sort of resurrection of, of uh, Quentin Tarantino, for me, because literally, if you go back and look at what I just talked about, it was hit and miss and hit and miss and hit and miss. Right. And for me, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, was hit and hit, largely. And so... I was expecting uh, a certain level from... Uh, I didn't quite know what to expect from Hateful Eight when I went into it. So I, I don't necessarily come in armed with all of the nuance. He's very busy referencing himself, and he's also very busy referencing other um, films and other forms and other countries and other the his, you know stuff. He, he has a lot. It's very layered and very dense, and I probably miss a good deal of it. So I just wanted to sort of acknowledge that acknowledge that up front. Um, I went back and saw Django, which I had, um, I was a, a, a um, you would call a hesitant thumbs up on Django when I first saw it in theaters. I went back to, to watch it through again. 
since seeing Hateful Eight, and and I am now an uh, a, a if not enthusiastic thumbs up. I've I've lost my hesitancy. I give that movie a thumbs up. The things about it that bothered me the first time did not bother me nearly as much this time. That's what I suspect is going to happen with me and Hateful Eight. Uh, and that and that may be the case. And, and God bless you. I don't think I liked it enough to go back to it again. Um, and so I, am, I, I have to say I am surprised because I. I had long theorized yeah. that your Tarantino issue is the the layering of references to other movies. Um, I don't I, as you, opposed to yeah. delivering a character you care about, situations that involve you know what I mean, like the you know yeah. Well, that he make he kind of makes movies for film people. And so you thought that would be a thing that turned me on or turned me off? I in Hateful Eight, I thought that would have turned you on. Okay, is um, that because I think he drops he drops all that for Hateful Eight? I'm actually kind of surprised that now to hear you say that you're an enthusiastic Django fan. Well, I I, I was a, a a somewhat enthusiastic Django fan formerly, um, but I will say this: the first three four scenes of Django, certainly three. Are are better than anything I saw in Hateful Eight. He does a fantastic wow. job of building these no. these these scenes that have. No, I disagree. Well, that's that's no. what we're here for to disagree. But I'm going to finish my opening statement, uh, which just goes like this: is that I felt as though uh, the first, I mean, basically we're going to talk about the first half and the second half. Everything that happened up to the intermission <clears throat> was almost. 80 90 percent of that was setting up to pay off in the second half essentially and mm. i largely found that setup way too slow and self-indulgent i wasn't getting the sense of tension from it that i think you did if you're going to compare it to a hitchcock type thing and that uh, remember we were talking last time about movies and pace and how in the 70s they went yeah. much more slowly and so yeah. He's he's the kind of guy who may step back and go. We're going to take time to build, That's what I build liked this. About it. But he fucking did it in Django it too. He did it in Django too. But he didn't. Just it just felt like lazy. It felt like laziness to me in the first part of this. Um, so I didn't care for the first half. Wow. I much more enjoyed the second half. But there were still some sort of issues I had with it in the second half anyway. And um, and. Um, I think that is that, except that I feel like he told a story that was just short of two hours worth of story. Story. And he took just short of three hours to do it. And so that other hour is bordering on masturbation for me. Um, compared to the tightness of the writing that I've seen him do elsewhere. I'm only comparing him to himself now, not to other people who I, whose writing I may like more or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so, in any Fair case... Enough. In any case. So, but you were getting the gestalt. That's just it. I don't particularly agree with you, but fair yeah. enough. I, I, I get what you're saying. You were getting no, the gestalt I... of that first half, and I just wasn't. The first half for me, I felt... Yeah. The whole time, like almost a little bit of tension. There was just the hair's width of information about these guys being delivered. And I was kind of like, 
I, I wanted to like read the hands. I wanted to see what, what, what are they going to drop? Like, what's the wild card they're going to drop? What's, yeah. what, what's Kurt Russell's Achilles heel? All this stuff. It was all building up for me. Maybe not hair width. I should probably no. Take I that understand back. that he was, but he was um, giving you just a little and bit then at a once time. Once the interplay came in with Bruce Dern and Tim Roth, it just yeah, it just it really really worked for me, and. You know, you're going to laugh when I say this. Yeah. But what really killed it for me in part two. <laughs> yeah. Was the moment we heard the narrator. Oh, at the beginning of the second half, you mean? Yep. Okay. Because it wasn't established in part one. Okay. And I thought it was doing such a beautiful job without it that as soon as it came on, I was like, oh. And can you remind me if that's a recognizable person's voice? It has been a little it's while. It's Tarantino. That's what I thought. Fact. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Um, Which doesn't make a difference because I actually didn't recognize his voice during the movie. I had okay. read it afterwards that he was the narrator. Right. I suspected, but it wasn't like obvious. Okay. So let me, me ask you this. Um, that that when that when that happened in the theater I was in, th having the narrator do this, it wasn't more than about two or three sentences, right? Maybe four. It it no, it was mercifully restrained. I, I again, it, I think I will probably be able to forgive it when I watch it again. And it showed if only because yes. he says it, it now in the last fifteen minutes, and I believe they schedule a fifteen minute intermission. Okay. And he, uh, but but there are also little uh, clips and flashbacks to images you saw coming in, right? I feel like you see the coach and you see some stuff. Am I wrong? I could be wrong. <clears throat> well, yeah, it, you do because you see the arrival of Tim Roth, Michael Madsen, and right. you see them first coming to minis and you see Minnie. Okay. You know. Yeah, yeah. You're, so you do a little I bit of that's a, in part two. Yeah, you do a little bit of a jump back in time, see some stuff you right. haven't seen, but you also do see there's a long shot of the coach. There's two or three yeah. sh very long shots of the coach coming in. Yeah. We know who's on it. We know what happens when they get there, but we still have 40 seconds to a full minute of screen time taken with them riding across the wintry landscape from different angles than we saw them ride across it before. But that's a lot of screen time. I'm going, to tell, I'm going to tell you a little story. Yeah, please. Tell you a little story. Have you ever heard of? Have you heard of the composer Richard Wagner? <laughs> well, I know oh, Wagner. I, I don't know him by, on a first name basis, but I'm assuming the Wagner I know is Richard Wagner. Yes. Okay. The okay. Wagner you know is Richard. Okay. So there's a story that he was staging one of his productions. Yes. And there's a there's an aria that goes on for about 15, 20 minutes. The, it's 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 the the hero and the heroine on stage embracing each other, and he goes into this extended period yeah. of singing solo. And according to legend, the actress in that production yeah. said to Wagner, "What am I supposed to be doing this whole time while he's singing?" Yeah. And Wagner's response was. You sit there and you listen to the beautiful music. Uh-huh. And that's kind of my response 
to this is like, yeah, okay, but isn't that breathtaking? What a great shot. Look at that landscape. What's okay. wrong with you? <laughs> Are you talking to me? What's wrong with me? Enjoy the beautiful landscape. <laughs> Fuck you. I can I can go to look at the yes. landscape anywhere else. I'm here to see a goddamn movie and have some tension maintained. And you just hey, sent me out in the office. And you know what? I come back from that and now you gotta do a you have to do a narration to catch me up on your fucking story. Well, guess what? If you didn't have a worthless first half and you didn't send me away for 15 minutes, then you wouldn't need to do a, uh, any narration uh, to catch me back the fuck up. Let's get on with this, you uh, son of a bitch. So oh, there you I go. Disagree. <laughs> well, oh, I disagree. Well, no. And hey, if I could the opposite, I feel like hey, he you could have put those easily, pretty pictures on the screen during the intermission. Easily, he could have yeah. easily done without the narration and just continued telling it straight, even with that flashback chapter where it was, without any explanation for those of us who may not realize that we're going back in time. Right. And Okay, yes, maybe he could have trimmed up some of those establishing shots. Well, I do believe he could have. But <clears throat> I believe and, and, and had <clears throat> one long uninterrupted piece. I think but... he has Stephen Kingitis and no decent editor, no one to step in and go, by the way, maybe you want to reconsider uh the time you're taking to get it done. But I want to, in his defense, say well, one thing, which is that perhaps, since he's very busy, I'm going to be generous in saying making references to and homages to, rather than saying stealing from, uh, other films and other forms. Perhaps that mm -hmm. second, that back from the intermission recap is something he was inspired to part use. It was, some, was part of that from something we, some Japanese, uh, you know, yeah. Western we haven't seen or whatever no, it might it would be. be. It would be from some... Western, yeah, either Italian or American, right. So I'm saying maybe that's maybe he's it's another nod for him doing that. I mean, the whole idea of having an overture, well, that just makes me laugh. For me, the overture comes from musicals or from from operas or arias where there's I don't know these pieces of music in there that have uh, popular musical is I guess yeah. what I'm thinking where you go well, oh yeah. listen there's a little bit of consider yourself in there or maybe there's hey there's an overture in uh, Tom Sawyer with uh, what's his name that we enjoyed so much yeah, the other day. Yeah, I was just day. about to say you know I think that's why you associate the overture with with happy stuff is because your your childhood in terms of films was filled with Tom Sawyer and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Dick Van Dyke and the Shermans. Yeah. And it was all happy and charming. And mine was Herzog and Truffaut yes. and Kubrick. All these mean yes. guys. Okay. And people So can... I don't have I, I don't I, I have no such attachments to it. I, I've probably seen overtures in more non musical movies than you've seen them. In movies. Fair enough, but I will say only the following thing that if the people listen closely with their eyes closed, they can hear the giant smile in my face and in my voice almost all the time. Whereas for you, you, you know, I wasn't. If I don't hear it, they don't hear it. I, I know, but you're wrong. They do hear it. Uh, contrasting it with your face, which is a grim, and your hand is pounding into your palm, and that is where you get from your heart song. <laughs> well, now what you can't see is an obscene gesture. 
uh, hand might do pounding into a palm. Oh, um, no, 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 no. I was just pounding my fist. I was trying to get the oh, sound of oh, that's fist funny pounding. Because all I saw on was, all I saw was this other famous gesture that you oh, could you make. Oh, you saw it was the, oh, <laughs> yeah. the fist. Wow. Uh, I didn't so much get the palm of your hand as I, as I got oh, the jerking oh. motion. All right. Um, in any case, um, I don't care about that composer. I don't care what he did 40 years ago. Let's move it along, people. That's my feeling. Can that composer be Ennio Morricone? Yes, okay. thank you. Just say for the it, record. No, to say it cleanly, right. say it cleanly because it's only fair. It dropped out a little bit, and he is a master craftsman for generations. Say his name once again. He is the maestro, Ennio Morricone. Thank you. Um, uh, and and he deserves respect for his body of work. And at the end of the yes. day, and he did act thought incredible music for this. Yes, it, absolutely incredible. Um, so at the end of the day, this kind of, incredible. oh, that's not fair at all. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. I, I think it was better than anything Tarantino did. How about that? Um, at the end of the day, Quentin Tarantino is, um, honoring yeah. and serving a, <clears throat> a form and a, uh, and, and, uh, the craftspeople that built that form that had a tremendous influence on him both as a young person and as an older person. Yes. And I have a great deal of respect for that. Um, more than I do from, say, Sisters, which I also saw. <clears throat> but it has none of that uh, weight to it. Not the Brian De Palma Sisters. No, no, no. Uh, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey in this season's oh, right. Sisters. Yeah, okay, okay. No. Or not Three yes, Sisters. Not yes. Three Sisters by... Uh, uh, or is it no five women? I don't remember. Uh, Robert. Uh, oh man, this is, is this so gonna sad. get edited out? No, yeah. no, none of it's gonna edit out. I don't mind looking foolish. Um, isn't it? Never mind. I'm also, I think you're thinking of Three Women by Robert Altman. Three women, not three sisters, not five women. Three women by Robert no. Altman. Thank you very much. Um, five women is the installment. <laughs> two films later. <laughs> Uh, eight and a half women later. All right, so. Oh, that's right. There was eight and a half women. Yes. Um, so. Okay, you're forgiven. Okay, thank you. Uh, that is the end of my opening statements. But go on and talk, because you were you made reference during your opening statement about other things well, you were going to talk I, about. I okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <clears throat> yes. This whole aspect of Tarantino referencing older movies. Yes. For me, it worked in Kill Bill because he set up a character with a backstory that made you really care about her. And Uma Thurman was amazing. It was so that the homage aspect was sort of dressing to the story of this woman. Okay. I didn't get that from Inglorious Bastards. I didn't get that from Django Unchained. Okay. I felt it, actually that the stylistic throwbacks were intrusive in both of those movies, for me at least. And that's why oh, I liked okay. the I first mean, part of, of Hateful Eight so much, is because he abandoned all that and just sat with the characters and let it fold out in quasi real time. 
All right, I'm sorry to do it's this. It's like it's all those scenes, all those scenes that in Inglorious Bastards that everyone likes, like yeah. when they're sitting around at the table and talking bullshit trivia about movies and whatnot, and the in Inglorious you know, Bastards. That, to me, that was just yeah, in Inglorious Bastards, okay. and like the the little basement bar speakeasy. Okay. that's so funny. Thing, you mean every thing, like, every scene you mention, every scene you mention, I love. I love that scene. Okay, okay. No, here's a better example. Yeah. No, here's a better example. It's like it's like the first scene in Inglorious Bastards, but as a long setup for something explosive, and that really worked for me. It was like watching. It was it was like feeling a clock spring being wound. Okay. Just so, one click tighter. Towards just to make sure I understand, bang. you're comparing. Uh, the opening of uh, Hateful Eight, the first 90 minutes, arguably, of Hateful Eight, to the first yes. scene in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, specifically referring that to the, <clears throat> specifically referring to the scene with Christoph Waltz, where as the you know the Jew hunter, where he's he, talking to the he's father, talking of the to the guy, people the, under the floorboard, yeah, so yeah, on and so forth. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, that yeah, first yeah. scene I know what is I'm doing. Uh, yeah, okay. I'm making sure that I understand. And that others understand. Okay. I, I know. I know you know what you're doing. I want to make sure I understand what you're doing. Okay. I sorry. think that op I think the opening scene of Inglorious Bastards is one of the greatest scenes in movie history. And if that scene had lasted 90 minutes, it could not possibly be one of the greatest scenes. And um, I don't feel I am. I am well, holding. I, I'm hang not on, calling no, no, no. Hateful Eight one of the greatest movies ever made. I know but you got I, it for an hour and a half, and I think it really works. Okay. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying to you, is that I don't think that I'm holding Inglorious Bastards. I'm sorry. I'm holding Hateful Eight against the standard of that first scene and against the standard of the first two or three scenes. And there's not a single scene in that entire movie that has that level of mastery going on from the directing and the writing point of view. And okay, so, I, so aside I, I, from... I absolutely love and appreciate what you've said about the first thing, and now I understand where you're coming from for it, f about it. I just can't agree with you about it. But go on. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So let me ask you, so <laughs> yeah. aside from the extended <laughs> I'm having so much fun. Go on. postcard shots, Yes. what was it? I mean, was it just was it a problem of editing for you in general? Uh, uh, no, I, I will answer your question even though you didn't fully answer you didn't fully ask it you're saying other than that what's my beef right but then i kind of figured out as i was saying it that well maybe his main beef is just the editing i don't think general, it's the editing I, just... I think it's the directing and the writing rather than the editing but what i since you brought up so the, post... you the writing. okay hold on a second i'm sorry um <laughs> hey i'm trying to prevent us from going to part two well on this listen one. it's yeah, gonna be whatever like... it's gonna be but hang on uh, you brought up the postcard shots again, and let me say the following, okay? Django Unchained. Oh, because it was the only thing you'd mentioned before. I, know, I wasn't but... like harping on it. Let me get it out, and then we won't go to a part two. Django Unchained had plenty of those kind of shots as well. I thought they were beautiful. You know what else? I actually cared about the people who were traveling across those landscapes or the story that was going on around them. And I gave him the benefit of the doubt in the first half when I saw them traveling through those landscapes going, oh my God, where are they going? What's around the bend? What's going to happen next? I, I sat and enjoyed the beauty of it and enjoyed those characters in those landscapes his first time through them. But when he's asking me to sit through them traveling through 
similar landscapes from a different angle and it's the same people but now I know exactly where they're going he is wasting my fucking time because I don't care about that I want you to tell me a story I can look at pretty pictures later but that's not the reason I don't like it is because he took a couple of shots of pretty stuff I do feel... I know that's not the reason you <laughs> Okay. I feel like I saw on display in Inglorious Bastards, which, by the way, I hated the last 10 or 15 minutes of, absolutely hated that, but thought that there were some astonishingly brilliant scenes early on in it, and Django Unchained, which originally I didn't care for the end of it very much and had a few problems throughout when I rewatched that I liked it a whole lot better. I think that there's writing and directing going on in there, which is breathtaking and astonishing in its impact on me. And so I'm holding hateful eight against those things and i largely feel like even those other two movies that i've talked about are a little bit longer in the overall sense they're not 90 minutes they're two hours over two hours whatever they are that he was using my time as a viewer and his time as a storyteller responsibly but i feel in a large part in hateful eight that he's wasting my time and his time i don't feel like he is being as careful and craft-like as far as my interpretation of it is and i also feel like he doesn't have an editor and there's further one more part because you did ask me which is that i felt like his explorations of race in django unchained um he was doing some some stuff he was working stuff there but he was also doing sort of revisionist history kind of stuff where he that he played with and i didn't like how he did it at the end of inglorious bastards where he was doing revisionist stuff there but in in, in, right. in but in django it, it it i liked it more because i had somebody i cared about and could root for and it just felt different for me and less whatever and so well so basically you had the reaction to django and chain that i had to kill bill it sounds like to me uh maybe uh, but un unless you're saying that part there's of your... a character there that you cared about and could yeah, root yeah, for in, in, in that invested sense. in, I liked both of those guys. Okay at the end. I liked both of the, those guys very much. I also liked the villains. I I liked Leo DiCaprio, who I don't particularly like in general. I liked him as Candy in that. I liked what Sam Jackson hmm. was doing in that. Their relationship in that was very interesting I really to me. I really what Sam Jackson was doing. In yeah, that. I mean, there were so Same. many layers of different things going on there that I felt really textured and thoughtful and everything else. In Hateful Eight, I feel like he's saying the N-word like a naughty little boy who got away with it once, but he can get away with it again. I don't feel he's using it anywhere nearly as responsible wow. as he did in the movie where he said it an obscene amount of times. I wow! I can't disagree with you more. That's what makes Holy this cow. incredible. <laughs> Holy cow! Because yeah, no. Here's the thing, okay? Yeah. In when when you go back and watch Pulp Fiction, the use of the N word makes you uncomfortable because it is thrown around so casually and cavalierly by a lot of white guys. Okay. With a black man in the room. In Django Unchained and Hateful Eight, I feel like it was appropriately used given the time that both of those stories are taking place. Uh -huh. The word would have been much more freely used without the baggage that we have on it today. Yes, but we do have baggage on it today, and I don't understand the point of it, even though it All might the be more accurate. Well, it, wor it worked more for me in Hateful Eight than it did in Django. Because in Hateful okay. Eight, I was, I was feeling, at least in the first part, I was feeling much more 
absorbed in that world. Okay. Uh, one of the things that I liked about it very much that I was hoping to get to was I liked how the Civil War was recent enough history that it's still coming up generation, like, you know, intergenerationally. Yeah. With the characters, let alone if they even specifically recognized each other from specific moments. Yeah. But just said, oh, you're that guy? I really liked all that. So the use of the N-word didn't bother me here as much as it has in in his other movies. Because I felt like at least here it was, you know, I don't want to watch Chicken getting blocked. I don't want to see dead animal carcasses hanging around. But it's unavoidable It's if you're shooting a certain kind of story. it's okay. You know what I mean? So, I, I understand what you're saying, and yet I understand... This is what I felt like. This is what I felt like. I felt like he got away with it in the past, and now he had a perfect way to get away with it. I felt like I was watching a kid do something that he knows is naughty to be shocking, but not for if a point. He, but not for a point. Not for a point. That's what I mean. But it doesn't and, need to and be not a just point. A, not just it's about that historically word. accurate. Yeah, but not just about the point. About the violence too. I mean, the the comic but, book graphic nature of his violence isn't because that's how it is and that's how it was in the in the in the Civil War. It's because he wants to shock true, you. Because he wants to shock you. And I feel like he was doing the same thing with language. So let me ask you this. Yes. Would you have felt the same with Hateful Eight if if the word nigger had never come up in one of his previous films, if the first time it ever came up in a Quentin Tarantino movie was in Django Unchained, or... Uh, well, no, 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 okay. Fuck Django Unchained. Yeah, okay. If the first time it ever came up was in Hateful Eight, would you still feel that way? Um, that okay. he was suddenly dropping it in to shock? Okay, I want to be clear to you and to anyone listening that we're dancing around it saying the N-word not because either of us feels like he, it cannot possibly be said. Obviously, you just said it, and I'm now not I'm not going to react to the fact that you said it like a hysterical woman. I, I feel the impulse to say it myself, but sort of out of some sort of PC chains I'm wearing, I'm not doing it. Well, but my it, feeling is... It's perfectly is, okay. I don't I'm have not, a, Yeah. I'm, I, I, I'm not assigning the label to someone in my use of it. I understand. It. You're just talking about the I, word I'm itself as a word. As a word. I understand. As being used as a word. Let me say and this. I know that I could say the N-word each time, uh, uh -huh. but... I understand. As Louis C.K. so beautifully articulated... Yes. It puts... it, it Basically, when you say the N-word... Yes. Whoever hears it is thinking to themselves... The word. nigger. Yes. Right. So it's kind of like putting the onus on them to conjure up the word. Uh-huh. And it's a little unfair to the okay. to the listener. And this is what I will this is what I will say is I'm not a prude about the use of the word, as is clear by the fact that it's now been used several times and and it's been used go by me. No, no, hang on a second. It's been used twice. So anyone who's listening to this later will know that I didn't cut one out or change it or whatever. Because yeah, I'm not listening to it. Like <laughs> no, you're not. But uh, no, so, but, no. Hang, hang on. Oh, I had a thought. You're already sorry for the last five minutes. No, it's all right. I, listen, I think this is. I think all of this is valid. This is the conversation he wants us to have. But I don't think that go. the story he told earns that. Okay, so going back to specifically what you were saying, or specifically what I was saying with regards to use 
of the word is that um, that I, I said to my kids when they were young, because they learned all the curse words early on. It took them a while to learn the, the racial words because we weren't throwing them around the house, but I'm sure they picked them up on the street. This, oh. is, this is what I told my kids when they were young. Um, there's no such thing as a bad word. There is how words are used can be good or bad. So, um, Guns don't kill people. Well, people kill people. Okay. And so I said... I don't, you know, in the house, if you want to say some off-color things, that's fine with me. I'd rather that you treat me and your mother and your brothers respectively, uh, respectfully, but just using the word itself isn't uh, a crime. However, they don't feel that way at school. And right. so there are places where you're free to say exactly what you want, however you want to, but that's not one of them. And if I have to come to the office because you're saying words you know they don't want you to say there, you are going to have a problem with me then. And so I agree with you with this idea that it's just a word and that we're talking about it as just a word. Um, <clears throat> I just don't feel like, I feel like in Django he earned the right to discuss that with the mature way in which he was uh, storytelling. Now, your question to me was, if that had never happened, if he, if there had been no racial, uh, you know, uh, slurs or whatever you want to call them, uh, yeah. sort of in a Pollyanna way, in, in any of his previous work, would I feel that oh, way no, here? No, no, no. Pollyanna, that's what they are. There's some racial slurs. No, I'm saying calling them racial slurs is a Pollyanna way in, in, to refer to them. Well, that's what they are. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's not get derailed on the semantics of how I'm saying it. I'm trying to answer your question, which was, okay. if, okay. It, if okay. it hadn't I'm appeared sorry. in Django and if it hadn't appeared in Pulp Fiction and anywhere in between, would, have I, would I have had the same yeah. reaction about Hateful Eight? And the, truth, the truthful answer is I can't be sure because I feel that the use of it in Hateful Eight is a direct result of how it was used and, quote, unquote, gotten away with. He, I think he gets off on shocking and offending and having people point their finger at him and that is giving him a hard on and so uh, i feel like he, he was doing that here he was just doing more of that here that it was that he was just a little kid being naughty and trying to get uh, called names for being naughty and not an artist or a thoughtful storyteller using it in a very specific and thoughtful way yes it's true that it would have that that's the word that might have been used, but there are probably also other words that might have been used that could be less or more offensive. And I actually could rattle off about six of them right now. Words that haven't been used at all in generations, but I know them because I'm a word guy. And in fact, I used one the other day with my children, uh, with those very same children. Uh, no, there was a, listen, there was a, there was a contest in, in a, in season one. It was one fun of, recording the last episode. It's fine. You. It was, no, no, it was a, and there was a contest going on in Survivor, season one of Survivor, and people were throwing spears. <clears throat> and so in that context, I made a, a, a tasteless uh, reference, but <clears throat> they understood it was, it was simply to be shocking. I was doing it myself, so I can recognize it in him. But I don't do it in a crowded theater, and I don't do it in a crowded auditorium. I do it with people who understand words the way we understand words. It only took... <sighs> Survivor, yeah, to get you to uh, break the dam. Wow. Okay, I'm just. <sighs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. I'm, I'm still getting used to the life of Dr. Adam Dooley these days. 
Yes, it is quite something. You should come. This is what it's come to. This is what it has come to. So, okay. So my problem doesn't begin and end with the pretty pictures. My problem begins and ends with I feel like he took uh, uh, um, <clears throat> he sat down this time and uh, took off his responsible artist storytelling hat and just plain was silly. And I know that that's not how you how it landed for you at all, but that's how it was landing for me. Um, and I felt the second half paid off in terms of things that had set up better, but I felt that the setting up of it took way longer than it really needed to, and we didn't need to have an intermission. See, the, it's funny, because the one thing for me that I'm not looking forward to about seeing it again yeah, is that I suspect that the second viewing, I, there will be moments fairly obvious moments yeah when the four guys in that room could have taken the two or three who were in the room mhm i agree that you to were to me to me the fact that they were all in on it that's almost a, that's almost a cheat for me uh-huh Yes, they were wildly. They had them because wildly now, outnumbered. Because what? Because they, they were waiting for the right moment. They had to go through this poisoning of the coffee and all this other stuff. And all the time, there's a guy down there. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm sure if we replay that, there'll be a time when Samuel Jackson's helping the guy in the barn or something. So, you know, Kurt yeah. Russell's taking ten minutes to get a gun from Michael Madsen. <laughs> that there. I'm sure there were opportunities there. If if they could take out Minnie and company, <laughs> yes, exactly. With just a nod and a wink, you know, they could have. Co- I'm sure they had a signal for, let's go. Yeah, hang on. Like did, now's did, the time. Did Kurt Russell enter that building with the girl? And of course. And and uh, Sam Jackson was still outside. Yep. Okay, kill Kurt he, Russell the yeah, minute he walks. The rest in. of them were outside. <clears throat> you don't have to kill her. She's with you. She recognizes some of you. Does she not, or does she not she recognize all of them? Okay. The so, minute she walks in, okay. she knows I got four guys in here. Okay. Six, on me. six if you We're count. Just waiting for the right moment. Hang They're on. Gonna six pop. if you count Channing Tatum. Now don't even defend that. Don't even try to defend that. I don't think she knew that Channing Tatum was under the floor the whole time. No, 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 I understand. But Quentin Tarantino knew who Channing Tatum was when he cast him in that part. I don't think he was well cast there at all. Uh, it could have been anybody who is more serious than that It would have been fine actor. for me. It would have been yeah. fine for me if his name wasn't in the opening credits. Oh, because yeah. as soon as it's... You're, because once his name was there, I was waiting for him waiting to for come him. up. Okay. Um, and he did, literally. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, so what I'm saying is the moment they walk through the door, uh, they can take Kurt Russell out or incapacitate him in some way and wait for Sam right. Jackson to walk through as well. I mean, it. it, it uh, although, what's his name? Bruce Dern wasn't with them. Was no. he? Okay. But no. He was with them in the sense that he had seen what they had done before and they forced him and to did, cooperate. They didn't say anything. Yes. Yeah. But well, they don't need his cooperation. They can kill him. Why would they have any hesitation about killing him and just picking people off as they came through the door? Right. Okay. So, yes, that will fall apart. Um, just quickly going back, we we're talking about, I'm talking about the length of stories and so on and so forth. Um, when you look on IMDb at um, 
The Hateful Eight. It has a running time of 187 minutes. I'm assuming that includes the 15-minute intermission, since I believe that intermission is part of the film. I don't know. Okay. Let's as, as to address the editing in general. Yeah. I would love it if there's a separate cut for the Roadshow edition in 70 millimeter, and that when it comes out on video, it'll be one part tighter and complete. And yeah. If you didn't see the Roadshow version, you didn't get the comfortably edited version. Right, the roomy, the roomy one. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so it says 100, 187 minutes for Hateful Eight. And for the record, Django came in about 15 minutes less than that, a little bit more than 15 minutes. So if that 187 includes the intermission, then Django is exactly the same length, essentially, as Hateful Eight in terms of storytelling. Yep. But I feel that every mm. moment of that time in Django was busy telling the story. Uh, whether because it was, it was a larger story, it was a larger story to tell. Yes, so make a fucking you smaller... characters. You were going across exactly. distances. There was no exactly. So make some diffusion the... of intrigue. Yes, this was all about the claustrophobia of these snowbound people. Only and once they so, became... at least one person's got something to hide. Only once they became snowbound. Was it about snowbound people? And if you're saying, yes, he had much more of a story to tell in, in, in that package, why did he take seven minutes longer, arguably, seven or more longer, to tell less of a story, put the fucking thing in a smaller goddamn package? And you could still have room. Uh, I disagree. Well, this is, it was a telling a different kind of story. Well, sign me It was out. all about buildup. Atmosphere and suspense. That's fantastic. I wish he'd use something of what I know he's capable of in building up atmosphere and suspense that he had shown, demonstrated handily in his previous two movies. I wish he had put that same skill to work here rather than phoning it the fuck in. So just for the record. Yes. Oh, by the way, kids, there was mommy and daddy are not are not getting a divorce. They're just disagreeing. Go on. So just for the record, yeah, you found suspense in Django and in Glorious Bastards. There were moments in those two films yeah. where you were on the edge of your seat because you couldn't figure out how it was going to play out. I, is that what I'm getting? I feel like you may be mocking me in this question. There's a tone in your voice that I feel no, like, no, no, it, like no, no, it's no. a trap. Because you just said... No, 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 because you just attributed a level of suspense that was present for you in those two movies that was not present for you here, and I'm astonished to hear this. Okay, I am saying, once again, I will only give the example of the first scene from uh, Inglorious Bastards, although there were several other scenes. A lunch scene comes to mind uh, later in the film with, with Christoph Waltz, that's, uh, the, 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 the now grown-up woman at the table and, a, and an, another yes. officer. Um, those two, in, but just as long as we've already brought up the first one, there were several scenes like that first one on display in Inglorious Bastards where it was a tightrope walk of suspense 
it, both in the writing and in the directing, and it was brilliantly done. Absolutely, hands down, brilliantly done. And this is coming from a guy who doesn't really like the guy who's doing it, who has a lot of reservations. And so for me to go, you know what? Got to give it to him on this. That's fantastic. And I don't want to say, I don't want to say, oh my God, um, that uh, that Django was a masterpiece of tension necessarily, but the first three scenes in Django are really well written and really interesting and and do have tension or whatever uh, twists and turns and so on and so forth. You have you have uh, Tim Roth, no, you have sorry Tim, you have uh, Christoph Waltz coming up to the chain gang of slaves. And he's in the dentist right. cart, and what's going to happen? And then this guy, that. and then and what are the next two bloodshed. scenes? That... Um, I want to say that one of the next two scenes, or both of the next two scenes, um, revolve the around them going into a bar. No, the campfire is, I think, the fourth scene. Them going into a bar. Hey, what are you bringing him in? You can't have him in here. Right. The bartender wants to say because obviously that guy's a nigger, and. And then he runs out to get a, an authority, and he goes, be sure to bring the sheriff, not the marshal. And then they have a scene outside where he kills a guy, and then a scene outside. They goes back in, they finish their drinks, and they go back out again. All of those taken together are interesting, funny, engaging. There's race yes. is an element to it. Uh, it has many of the same things at play that are at play in the coming film but handled with much more adeptness. Now, I understand he was trying to do something that was more drawn out and so on and so forth, but the way he drew it out, for me, didn't maintain the tension. For you, it did. And I'm not arguing that it doesn't. it's not there. It's not fair for me to say it's not there, but it is fair for me to say that I didn't, it didn't land on me the way it did when he did it okay. previously. Um, and, and nowhere right. in here am I saying you're wrong. You're wrong. And any any anger, that, any anger, any anger that I'm showing is it is it Quentin Tarantino and certainly not at you. Um. <laughs> no, it's okay. All the comments are going to come back and say I'm a dick. No, 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 no. So, I'm sure so not I'm, at all. <laughs> I don't think so. Um, no, 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 no. They will absolutely after after Force Awakens. No, 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 no. they're going to have to move. <laughs> Rich, hang like on. The By the way. I've seen Force Awakens again since we talked about it, dear God, because uh, my wife and son wanted to go again, so I saw that yesterday. Um, but hey, I, yes, a question for you. Yeah. Speaking about your wife, uh -huh. she works at Disney, right? She does now. Yeah. Okay, so so what happened with Hateful Eight being booked in this one theater in Los Angeles? And Disney wanting to put The Force Awakens there and basically telling the the theater chain owner, give us that theater or you'll never or you won't get Star Wars in any of your theaters. If you think that... he mentioned this, he mentioned this on Colbert and I don't know how it turned out. Uh, who's he? So T Tarantino? Your view. No, I'm yeah. saying who, Tarantino mentioned it on Colbert. Um, if you think that my wife, you know my wife, was anywhere near any of the meetings where those exchanges exchanges happened. No, nope, she wasn't anywhere near the meetings with those exchanges. I, I, I don't Just think saying, she has any idea that that even occurred. Uh, can you say oh, which? You say that word doesn't get around. Not to Does every. Not, did not water cooling this topic. Not at every corner of the empire. She works in. in... Did you read the trades? I don't. There I, must have been no, 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 covered. I, I don't read the trades either. I, I listen, man. But she does. No, she doesn't. It's, she's she's I, working at Disney. She's not reading the trades. She worked at Warner Brothers for twenty years. I think she might have read the trades once by accident. Uh, she's really not plugged in like that, which might explain why she is where she is at the level she's at. I love my wife. There's nothing wrong with my wife. Um, keep bringing uh -oh. home the bacon, honey. 
Yeah, this is a fantastic area to get into at this particular juncture. Let's leave my wife out of this, man. What are you trying to do, what are you trying to, do to me? I got enough trouble. Sorry, sorry. Hey, I got a whole hey, other hey. podcast I talk about my wife. <laughs> a lot of damage. Oh, spin control. Big shout out to okay. This is Dr. Dooley. <laughs> exactly. Lady Dooley. Um, so I don't know where I was exactly, but uh, I don't know. Was that I, the... I don't need that, but we definitely agree to disagree on this one. Yeah. Because I, it's entirely I, I, possible that they I, didn't want to fight over, with Hateful Eight over, you know, over a theater yeah. and that they use yeah, their I, muscle to push him out. I, I would have no doubt about no, it. It's understandable because surely the revenue off of that one theater would have made a big fucking difference in how much money they were. It was like oxygen. The money's coming in <laughs> that they're getting off. Listen, I can understand how, you know, they, hang on a second. Disney is four billion was four billion in the hole on this deal. Hold on a second. Disney was four billion in the hole on the deal, and they're trying to make all of that back on this one movie. I just, they paid four million dollars for the for the uh, universe. All right. By All the right. time, by the time Hateful <laughs> Eight runs its natural course, do you think Star Wars will still be playing in Los Angeles? Yes, but you know what? It'll still be playing in that. It'll still be playing in that theater too. Let him go find his. Let him go find well, his. Of own course theater. it is. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what too. Uh, I, while you're busy. Uh, Saying that, I think what you're saying is that Disney is bad and Tarantino is good. No, 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 no. I'm not. I'm not saying this like as as like a pro Tarantino thing. I I would say this whoever the little guy was in this situation, that there was a theater in Los Angeles. There was only one theater that was equipped with 70 millimeter projection. Yeah. To to screen this, and he had booked it months in advance. They had booked that theater months okay. in advance. And then Disney decided it wasn't playing in enough theaters in Los Angeles, and they had to get that one more. It wasn't playing in enough theaters in 70? It's Star not just, Wars? It's not just that it was playing. But Star Wars they, wasn't playing oh, enough I, in 70? I don't know. Was I didn't it? realize Star Wars... I didn't realize they did 70 millimeter prints of Star Wars. Oh, I see. They, they were just—I don't think they did. You're saying that they were cutting him off at a place where he could have done it in 70, just to show it in whatever. Maybe it was exactly. in 3D or that whatever it was I'm they th did. That is the story as I understood it. Okay, told by Quentin Tarantino. Because I'm well, not yes. sure I'd believe any story that came out of the mouth of either side of that argument. Wow. Um, and I don't necessarily see Quentin Tarantino as the little guy. That's another thing. He's littler than Disney. Everything is littler than Disney. But we have Thank really you. come way off track. So let me get back to this. I was not well, at all. I was not gonna at all. This up in like five minutes, or yeah. I'm not going to have a wife. Uh, um, well, then this may not be something to start now. But oh it, goes, it goes under the heading of something that I wasn't enjoying while I was in the theater. Is that. Um, I did not seem to find the humor in a certain running um, behavior that the rest of the audience I saw it with did. Um, the theater that I saw it in and the group that I saw it with thought the degree of violence uh, applied to Jennifer Jason, Jason Lee's Lee. character was hilarious. And I did not necessarily agree or see the humor in it. In that she had not well, done anything that I could see to earn... 
uh, not that anyone deserves it, but we're here to see lots of people have bad things happen to them. We weren't laughing when people were getting shot in other cases. Uh, it was horrifying to us largely. I don't but... know why. I, the The only thing I can think, because I, to to the credit of my my Chicago peeps, yeah, um, there were some I would call nervous laughters, but more than that, you heard oh, like people okay. themselves had been punched. Well, and I, I'm so sorry. I didn't have that. I didn't have that reaction. I'm gonna but allow you know what? For, I just blame. Yeah. Well, I blame the Three Stooges brand mm, of comedy for that. Well, to make. To no, no, that's completely unfair. Physical harm of another human being somehow funny. The, but the Three Stooges was framed as slapstick comedy, coming from a long tradition of slapstick comedy, and they were not playing her violence as slapstick. They were playing it as brutally no, realistic. No, they weren't, but I think it's... So it's not... Uh, I would say nervous laughter could get you a long way in terms of explaining it, but here's the thing. You can say that N-word over and over and over again for whatever point you're trying to make, but what was the point he was trying to make about her getting hit and, and if laughter was an appropriate response on any level? Well, to be honest, I don't think, I don't think he was in necessarily intending for laughter, but... I don't know. Again... I know how I, he, I know how he feels I, I, about no, the movie no, no, theater. No, but, yeah, no, to yeah. be honest, no, 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 no. Okay. Because I had a... I had a knee-jerk reaction to it also. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I did. And I found myself here saying, well, basically rationalizing it. Well, in that time period, <laughs> oh, yeah, I can kind of see it. But that doesn't make it necessarily I can kind of see it. Now. Certainly to me, it was more, um, I don't want to say appropriate, because, again, that makes it sound justifiable, and I don't really right, think it is. Right, right, right. But... I, that is one of my huge problems with true romance, is that whole scene with Patricia Arquette getting beaten to a pulp. Yeah. Just to, like, rise up at the end and kill the guy. Not just the but guy. To me, that, that's, Not just the guy. Uh, that was, that's like a really lopsided vengeance. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, but I, hang on, hang on. To me, yeah. that in that movie, it is gratuitous and it is sickening. And in this movie... It wasn't to me. It wasn't sickening like it was in True Romance. Well, um, first of all, that was not just a guy. That was Gandolfini, who is who a I never liked. Well, frankly, okay, that's fine. Listen, I don't even know how we talk about things. I don't even know what we're doing here. This is like the conversation I had with my wife earlier that's today. That's I don't know what's going oh. on anymore. Um, I don't know why. It's <laughs> okay, so. Um, and that people want to listen to this is just beyond me. Okay, I, I don't feel that the beating she got in that movie was any worse than any beating anyone ever took in any other movie who was man on man. And consequently, it was actually feminist that she was getting the equal, hey, you want equal pay? You want equal rights? Here's an equal fucking beating. And she got the better of him. Good for her. Um, <laughs> Great. We're going to be in the news tomorrow. Thanks. Awesome. No, Fucking I'm just saying, awesome. look, uh, 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 I'm sorry that you feel that way. I find it shocking that you think that you don't find what happened with Jennifer Jason Lee kind of as uh, nauseating as hey, man, the other. I'm not saying that this is like a perfect movie and that was like a, you know, a nice touch. No, I understand. I, I understand. still had a problem with it. I felt like... I could probably count on one hand the number of times he's actually punched, like she actually gets punched in the face by somebody. Right, 
Right. I might be wrong, but it it was less brutal to me because it was spread out as opposed to in true romance. Where I understand. It was, it, it, was just, it is a savage beating in that movie. It is brutal. It is hard. For some reason, that movie works for me. Um, and I, I know. And at the same time, and as far as what you said about how Patricia Cartet's character yes. is is finally now on equal footing with a man and taking it. Yeah. Jennifer Jason Lee's character. Uh huh. As the story develops, I mean, I'm talking still in part one. This is all still part one. Yes. Her character says and does some pretty nasty shit. So you know what? Fuck her. You want equal to you want you want put you want to put men and women on an equal status? Well then you could very easily say she deserved to get hit in the face Hang for on a some second, of the shit she said she, and did. But anything Let alone she what said, character is supposed to have done and why she's in jail. Anything she place. said or did wasn't any worse or better than the things that were being son- said and done by other horrible people in that room. They're not the lovely eight or the graceful eight. They're the hateful eight. They're all doing terrible things. But hers elicited laughter. That's interesting to me. That's a discussion I think maybe is worth having. Uh, that's all. I think it's... Well, I'm not, I think it's I think it's because you saw it in, in a sick and venal savages? society. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. you're hilarious. You're hilarious. Um, I don't know what else to I don't know what else to say. I, I will double check with with my wife to make sure okay, that I'm not misremembering. But I don't remember our theater guffawing. No, no, I believe that you her. that it didn't happen. I, but it wasn't once in mine. It was started as a titter and a nervous whatever. And by the time we got to what probably is half a dozen times, by the time we got to the last, uh, you know, few instances of it, it was really, hey, that's a running go- joke. We didn't get the joke at first, but now we get it. I don't know. I, I, I still can't help but feel like the slapstick humor ethic is responsible for this because. Okay. Why should. Where else? Did, where else did that come from? The setup of, hey, I'm going to say something wise, assy pop, from the other character. When did that start? Well, I don't think it started with the and three why stooges. Is it funny? Hang on a second. I don't think it's that funny started because you always want to do it because you always want to do it and you never get a chance to do it in real life. So when a character does it up on the screen, now it's vicarious. It's like, man, I've always wanted to punch someone in the mouth like that, and I guarantee you that more than half the people who saw that movie, more than half of the men who saw that movie, watched it and probably said, man, I've always wanted to punch a bitch in the mouth like that. You were saying about getting in the papers? Um, so <clears throat> um, I think that giving the credit to the three Stooges or however many of the Stooges you want to give credit to is giving way too much credit to the Stooges. I'm sure they didn't invent that uh, since it was probably just an extension of vaudeville and slapstick no, itself predates them. They pop- popularized it. Uh, and I don't. It sounds like you're getting annoyed with me about that. I'd like to move on since I know your time oh, is limited. I wanted to move on yes. to talk a little bit about the performances. We can go through okay. them real quick because... Quite aside from anything else, yeah. I thought people were working at the top of their game, even when they weren't given things to say yes. that I thought were well written. You know, uh, Kurt Russell Correct. is having a fan fucking tastic time, and he and is, he's amazing in it. He is completely yeah. enjoyable to watch in a way yep. that I'm not sure he ever has been. And looking back at his like list here, 
Um, it's go, you go back some ways before you get to something where you're like, oh, he's a movie star. Cause it's like, it's all these little things that he's doing lately that you sort yep. of haven't heard of, or that just go by and he's, he's not killing himself with work and he's not even necessarily working in the biggest things. I mean, I have to go back to dreamer, uh, from 2005 or sky high, which I saw with my kids is a superhero type movie. So that's going back to the early 2000s, more than 10 years ago, to get stuff that was like, I see Vanilla Sky and some other stuff even further back. But, you know, he's, he's just popping into stuff here and there. Did you know, for example, what did, what, did I, what did I hear? He did the voice of Elvis. I mean, I know he actually played Elvis somewhere along the line, yeah. but in Forrest Gump, he, he did the voice of Elvis somewhere. I did not know that. So I mean, Good for him. he's a really interesting cat. I like him a lot. Because Rich Little needs a day off. <laughs> um, and he's also uh, in 2015, and it kind of slipped by. So I don't know if it's available uh, streaming or whatever. There's a movie called Bone Tomahawk, which is another western in which he sports exactly the same facial hair. So he must have grown it for one uh, or the other or both. Um, and it looks like it's subscription Amazon Video free trial. Blah blah blah. Showtime stars and more. So it's out there streaming. Uh, and it's another, okay. you know, another Western that might be worth checking him out. And if you liked him in this, I thought he was terrific. Loved him. Um, and Samuel Jackson was great. Sam Jackson. Yeah, he was, he was great. And I mean, what is your favorite Sam Jackson movie, by the way? I wonder, I was wondering, do you have one? Wow. I, or, or just one I that comes to your mind as something that you really liked him in. Cause I don't really count this you know, Avengers stuff or whatever it is where he just pops in or oh, uh, that's, that's oh. just, I'm not ca- talking about that. I'm talking about like Sam Jackson, that kind of thing. I mean, he's uh, obviously goes way back. I mean, Pulp Fiction could easily be one of them because he was f- absolutely fantastic in that. Well, I feel like he really owned the movie. Yeah. Pulp Fiction. Okay. I have a character, an actor in this movie that I feel like owned the movie that I'm leading up to with you. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, but I'm just sort of... Uh, I, I I would have to give... Really have to give the Samuel L. Jackson questions some right. thought. Well, as I see that he was in True Romance, I'm going with that. But I don't think it's a Sam Jackson movie by any stretch oh, of the imagination. Um, yeah. No, he's... And, and just for the record, yeah. just for the record, most actors you would ask me... Right now, what yeah. my favorite movie of theirs is, and I would probably be hard pressed to think of it. Yeah, yeah. I was a Jennifer Jason Lee fan since 1983, <laughs> and I'd still be hard pressed to tell you yeah. which of hers is my favorite film. I understand. Did you know, by the way, Sam Jackson was in Out of Sight, which in and of itself is a terrific movie. Do you like Out of Sight, or do you hate that one too, the way you hate the. Uh, <laughs> true romance. Steven Soderbergh, Wait. the Elmore Leonard, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I know what the movie is. Okay, I yeah, wasn't I'm sure. trying to remember Samuel L. Jackson in it. I barely remember. I think it said uncredited, so who knows what he did. Oh, okay. But it may be one of those little things where he blipped in and blipped out. But um, I liked that movie very much when I saw it, and I never really revisited it. Not for any particular reason, just... Okay. Yeah, there are a lot of movies I like, and I don't watch them again. I understand. But yeah, um, I like it. And I do liked you? It, yeah, quite a bit. And do you? I mean, and he's also, of course, in the in the in the Star Wars, uh, the prequel trilogies. You know, uh, he didn't was, see those. Okay. Well, Mace Windu. He played a Jedi, Mace Windu, in 
Revenge of the Sith and probably in uh, in more than one of those. So and he's all up in in uh, Quentin Tarantino. So I know you've seen him many times. Oh. Um, but he's an actor that I that I love, and I think he does a terrific job here as well. Um, I don't really know the. I, I know a little bit the. I think he's in a Mexican. Um, actor uh, uh, Demian Bashir. Yeah, I there, there were a couple of names in here that were new to me. Well, he is, I, he's one of the eight, and I know him from a show called The Bridge, which I watched the first season of, or as much of the first season as I could take. Oh, he was also in a movie called Dom Hemingway. Have you seen Dom Hemingway with uh, no, Jude with, with Jude Law? Oh my God, it's fantastic! I love that movie. Okay, I, I highly recommend that. Um, okay. uh, so, but mostly, I mean, if he's done 75 movies, 55 of them or 65 of them have been in, uh, our, our Spanish language and we wouldn't necessarily really know him that well. I felt like Tim Roth really could have been played by almost anybody. And I sort of thought it maybe even ought to have been, um, other than the fact that Tim Roth is a, like a core player for Tarantino. I thought, I thought, uh, oh, Christoph Waltz must not have been available. Yeah, I know. I I thought that too, and I'm sure a lot of people think that as they watch it, and I, it's, it's unfortunate. It's kind of a nothing frankly. nothing part, and I don't really feel like he brought another layer to it or anything else. No, I, I don't think he he was working at the top of his game at all. It was nice to see Bruce Dern. I you know Nebraska was sort of the last thing I saw him in, um, and um, you know he's one of these guys. I mean he is. A living legend. He's just if you go back and look at the work he he's great. done, yeah. he goes back to Gunsmoke and before he did a lot, he, you know, Big Valley did all that, all that TV work early in his career with like, uh, uh, who's the one? The you mentioned him earlier, the the Alfred Hitchcock. I almost said, I don't know what I almost said. Um, I almost said Alfredo Hitchcock. Um, he was in Support Your Local Sheriff with my favorite Jim Garner. Terrible, yeah. terrible movie, but but fun. And um, and on and on. And I felt like he was I thought he did a fine job. It was exactly what he needed to do um, mm. with it. Um, but here's the thing, people. Here's the thing. Walton fucking Goggins. I love this guy. Uh, he came to my attention mostly on Justified another Elmore Leonard birth, you know, birthed project. Uh -huh. Yes, he, I remember you mentioning that. He was the counterpart to, uh, uh, the character's name is fantastic, Boyd Crowder. Boyd Crowder. And he was... Sounds like someone you went to school with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would rattle them off now, but why should they be named here along with everybody else? So Timothy Oliphant... Timothy Oliphant is the, is the protagonist yeah. in that. And, and uh, Walton Goggins plays his childhood nemesis, uh, frenemy, which I, I hate that word, but they, um, they were brilliantly paired in that show. And week after week, he, gave, he made just masterful choices. But he was, he was in Sons of Anarchy, which I'm just getting into now. And uh, uh, he goes all the way back to The Shield and even earlier than that. This guy's been around for a while. Makes great choices. He was... <laughs> He was even in. You're like you're you 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 are like Joey Pants in the Matrix, right? You have like 20 screens at home, and you just sit there and yeah, it's something like that. Take it all in. It's something like that. Uh, but uh, Walton was also in. Uh, speaking of of Tarantino regulars, he was in Django Unchained, and I think he may also have been in um, huh? in Inglorious Bastards uh, briefly. In Django, he's the guy who 
who, well, it depends how well you remember it. I don't want to drag it out again, but we've gone on long enough. But he played a significant, he had a couple of key scenes with um, Jamie Foxx. I couldn't think of Jamie Foxx's name. Uh, and I thought he stole this movie. He almost stole it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So he who, definitely. Who did he? Who, he definitely was more prominent than I thought he was going to be. Whose hands did he leave it, it in? Out. Whose hands did he leave it in? Who outdid him? I want to know who's your top of the heap in this movie. Jackson or Lee? Maybe Jackson. Okay. Uh, no, to tell you the truth, I had heard that Jennifer Jason Lee was getting great notices for this, and I was a little disappointed that I felt like she didn't have more to do. Uh, yes, I found... Because she is capable of quite a bit. As much as I complained about what about the violence against her type thing, I thought she did a fantastic job of just being this crazy... Whatever she was, I was fucking scared of her. And I was like, these guys better be scared of her too. Everyone better be afraid. And so... Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed her in this, but for, at the end of the day, for me, it was Walton Goggins. And so when they said, and everyone right. stu stood up at this meeting, at this uh, question and answer, I wanted to make a beeline. I had all that star power. Bruce Dern goes back. All those, there's so many people. I, all I wanted to do was get close to Walton Goggins and shake his fucking hand, not only for this, but for his Boyd Crowder, which uh, changed my life. Um, and the last thing I hope I was, you get that day. <laughs> I hope so too, because he made a fucking beeline out of that place before I could get anywhere close to him. He, had, <laughs> he saw you coming, <laughs> of course. Sure. His handlers got rid of him so fast. It was, uh, oh, oh man, of course. <laughs> Good job, guys. Uh, the only other piece of sort of trivia that I can remember at this point Seek that I heard, uh, was that apparently, um, <clears throat> generally speaking, once your character is dead in a movie. Uh, you're not in the movie anymore, basically. And the way that Kurt Russell's uh, corpse was positioned, uh, he largely it could have been anybody lying on the floor because the face was covered with hair and an arm or something. And he stayed on that set several additional weeks where all he did was lie on the floor every day just so he could be in the room with those people working. And whether I'm happy with Quentin Tarantino or unhappy or any of those feelings, that is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Um, and so um, I read that one of Tarantino's, his main inspiration for this was uh, John Carpenter's remake of The Thing, which also starred Kurt Russell. <laughs> I had not read that. I have to wonder if the intimacy of the cast worked for him in this movie like it did when that movie was being shot. But that's another story. <laughs> True enough. Uh, I would like to thank everybody for listening to what might be our most controversial episode yet, but it's only Thank appropriate. God. It's only appropriate because we were talking about what should be a controversial movie in and of itself. Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. Uh, I would like to thank you all for listening. And uh, until we speak to you again... The Hateful uh, Two are <laughs> signing off. And the doctors are out.